You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Serious question for you all today. <clears throat> Are you born again? I look around the room this morning. I've known most of you for years, some for decades. And uh, you haven't given me any reason to doubt the genuineness of your salvation. <clears throat> but are you born again? There may not be a time in your life when you haven't been involved in church in some way. But that doesn't mean that you've been born again. You may have led home groups. You may have led people to Christ. You may have even led a church. But even that is not proof that you've been born again. Are you born again? A serious question with eternal consequences. God forbid that I should automatically assume that you've all been saved, that you all are born again and never ask you to examine yourselves. Never ask you to check your relationship with Jesus Christ to make sure it is a real relationship with him. According to Hebrews 13.17, I will be required to give an account to the Lord for my care of you and of your souls. And your eternal destiny hangs on the the answer to this question. Are you born again? The reason I think it's so important that you should examine yourself is that I've heard many stories of people who have been lifelong churchgoers only to discover later in life to their shock and horror that they hadn't been born again all those years and they knew because they got born again late in life. I've heard stories of people who have pastored Christian churches in some cases for decades and haven't been born again. So even those of us who are called to lead a church, to preach, to teach and lead people to Christ and serve others can do it without necessarily having a genuine life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. How can that be? You recall Jesus' warning in Matthew chapter 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. If that verse doesn't terrify you, you haven't understood just what Jesus is saying. You haven't understood how serious that warning really is. But how is it possible to lead people to Christ, to perform miracles and all the rest of it, if you're not a Christian yourself? That's a fair question. How is that possible? But God in his infinite mercy and his grace 
uses imperfect means to achieve his will. As a friend of mine once said, God can use a crooked stick to draw a straight line. And thank God that he can, or none of us would be any use to him. So I ask you again, are you born again? Our text for today comes from John chapter 3. Now Harley did a great job of this when he dealt with it several months ago. So I won't be saying very much that you haven't heard already, I don't think. But uh, this matter of being born again is so important that I think it's worth us spending a bit of time on it. John chapter 3 begins with Nicodemus who comes to Jesus by night with some important questions. Let's start by, we'll read the whole passage, we'll pick it up at the end of chapter 2. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus is emphatic in his conversation with Nicodemus. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And unless one is born of water and the Spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. And you must be born again. There's nothing in that passage to suggest any hope of salvation without the new birth. Hence my desire that we all examine our hearts this morning to make sure we really are born again. Jesus stressed the need to be born again, but what is the new birth? Why do we need to be born again? I'll start with the why first, and then we'll look back at, then we'll look at the what. The next week we'll come back and look at what difference being born again makes. 
almost every one of the two dozen messages that I've, or nearly two dozen messages I've preached so far in John ties back to the book of Genesis in some way. The first book of the Bible. In fact, I suspect every major doctrine of the Bible has its roots in the book of Genesis. If you want to understand marriage, you look back to the creation account. You want to know about the origin of sin, look back in the Garden of Eden. What about faith? Look at Abraham in the book of Genesis. Substitutionary atonement, the Garden and Abraham. The faithfulness of God, you see that in Genesis. Baptism, the roots of baptism are found in Genesis with Noah's Ark and the Flood. And this teaching about being born again is no different. The reason we need to be born again goes back to the original creation in the book of Genesis. It says in Genesis 1.22, uh, sorry, Genesis 1.21, So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds. And everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Did you notice any repetition there? According to its kind. One of my best mates is a sheep farmer. In a good season he'll have as many as four and a half thousand merino sheep on his property. And merinos are famous for giving birth to twins. And... Uh, Farmers talk about lambing rates of 150%, which means for every 100 births, there's 150 lambs produced. And lambing rates in excess of that. In the nearly 30 years I've known him, his ewes have produced tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of lambs. But he's never once rung me up to tell me one of his ewes gave birth to a cat or a calf or a kangaroo. Why not? Why not? Animals reproduce according to their kinds. Sheep produce sheep. Crows produce crows. Dolphins produce dolphins. And snakes produce snakes. And humans produce humans. Therein lies our problem though. And our problem also with its roots in the book of Genesis. God creates Adam from the dust of the ground. Then he creates Eve out of Adam's rib to be a suitable partner for him. They're put in charge of the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and given dominion over all the animals. There's only one rule. Don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest you die. Every other tree was fine. But this one was off limits. 
But that old serpent, the devil, convinced Eve that the forbidden fruit was the most desirable fruit. So she took it, ate it and gave it to Adam. What's the, the root of sin? It's not that Adam and Eve ate fruit disobeying God. It's that something was more precious to them than God. Suddenly, this fruit, this forbidden fruit, was more precious to them than God. And the eating the fruit was the outworking of that decision, that change that had already occurred in their heart. But suddenly, something changed. There was an awareness of their nakedness. There was an awareness of their exposure before each other and before God. There was guilt. There was shame. So they tried to make clothes out of leaves to cover their nakedness and tried to hide from God. Now God said, on the day that you eat that fruit, you will surely die. Adam didn't die that day. He lived to be 930 years old. But it is a good innings, yeah. Steve Smith would be pretty proud of that average. That would beat the Don. <laughs> but Adam suffered an immediate spiritual death. What was alive to God before was now dead. Adam's sin that day plunged the whole world into sin and alienated every one of us from God. And Adam began to produce according to his kind. His offspring inherited the legal guilt and the moral rebellion of Adam. And they also inherited the spiritual death that Adam brought upon himself. Where is offspring? That's bad news. We're his offspring. We're born with Adam's spiritual DNA. We are alive physically, but we are dead spiritually. And as Jesus said in our passage from that uh, Jesus said in our passage, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Our human flesh can't have a living relationship with God. In fact, we can't even see him as he is because it would destroy us. Remember the Lord told Moses on the mountain, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. Now it's interesting when John read that psalm out to us this morning, he made the point that where you see the word Lord in the capital letters in the Old Testament, it's actually a translation of the name Yahweh. Here in this verse in, from, uh, from Exodus, the Lord says, I will proclaim to before you my name, the Lord, my name, Yahweh. The older English translations put it, my name Jehovah. The word actually is, my name I am. Where have we heard that before? Before Abraham was, I am. I am the bread of life. 
I am the resurrection and the life. You know why the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus? Because he was claiming to be God. He was claiming to be Yahweh, the I am that Moses met on the mountain. When you're reading your Bibles, remember that. When you read the Lord in capital letters, that's I am. The one who Jesus claims to be. I actually try to read my Old Testament now like John did this morning and read Yahweh where it says the Lord in capitals. Just to try and keep that. I do it with varying degrees of success but I encourage you to try and do the same. It will open up to you just how much the Old Testament scriptures speak of Jesus. He told his followers And he told the Pharisees and others that all of Moses and the writings and the prophets speak of him. And they do. Every time it says the Lord in capital letters, it's speaking of Jesus Christ. Anyway, Yahweh said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Now Adam saw God's face and lived right up until he disobeyed God and then he was cast out from God's presence. Adam's descendants, that's you and I and everyone who has ever lived, including Nicodemus, experienced physical life but spiritual death. God is spirit, Jesus tells us in the next chapter of John, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So if we're going to have a living relationship with God, we need a spirit that is alive to God. We need him to reproduce in us according to his kind. That's our dilemma. How can we relate to God when he is spirit and we are flesh? And he is alive and we are dead. So like a mosquito trying to have a friendship with a man. We can't communicate. We can't understand each other. In fact, our relationship with mosquitoes is usually one of hatred and enmity, (laughs) just like our relationship with God before we're born again. For we're entirely different kinds. Man and mosquito are different kinds. So how can we come into the Lord's presence when he is holy, pure, righteous and we are not we are such different kinds it requires a new beginning a new birth it needs us to be born again but this raises another problem for us which one of us chose his own parents which one of us chose her time of conception Which one of us chose his date of birth? How about something as simple as which hospital you were born in? Did any of you even choose that? Of course not. The whole idea of us choosing to be born is absurd. And Nicodemus knows that. That's why he says, how can these things be? Nicodemus was a man who had been brought up to do the law so that he was worthy to stand in God's presence. But he couldn't figure out 
how to do this, how to be born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus says. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Tell me how to do this, Jesus, and I'll gladly do it. But you and I both know this is impossible. How to be born again? Jesus doesn't immediately answer Nicodemus' question, of course. Instead, he repeats and expands on his first statement. And he says in John 3, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus tells Nicodemus not just that he must be born again, but he must be born of water and the Spirit. Without this, Nicodemus won't be able to see or enter the kingdom of God. Now, some would point out here, and I think Harley did from memory, that the Greek word translated again here could just as accurately be translated as from above, born again or born from above. So which is it, again or from above? And the short answer is yes. <laughs> you need to be born again because your first physical birth can't overcome the problem of sin and alienation from God. And the new birth comes from above. It comes from God. Because you can't born yourself. Plenty of debate down through the centuries about what Jesus means by being born of water and the Spirit. I won't spend too much time on it. I think Harley covered it pretty well when he preached this text. Briefly, the interpretations are born of water refers to physical birth, as in the amniotic fluid and the breaking of the waters when a woman's about to give birth. Or it may possibly mean conception, with water being symbolic of semen. There's plenty of people who would interpret it that way. I'm not convinced by that personally. Why would Jesus stress to Nicodemus that he must be born physically, that he, that is, he must exist before he can be reborn? It's true, but it seems redundant to me. I don't see Jesus wasting words on something so obvious. Another interpretation is born of water refers to baptism. But nowhere in scripture is there any suggestion that baptism is able to save. Rather, baptism is a sign, it's a public acknowledgement of an inner change that has already happened. And Christian baptism, I might point out, hadn't yet been instituted anyway. So what sense would Jesus make of a statement that tells him he has to be baptised and born of the Spirit? Jesus rebukes Nicodemus in verse 10 for not understanding. That would seem to be a fairly harsh rebuke if it's referring to Christian baptism of which Nicodemus could have no knowledge at this stage in history. And of course there's no reference to baptism anywhere else in this chapter. Third interpretation is that born of water is just another way of saying born of the Spirit. 
saying the same thing two different ways. So just to emphasise the point, that may be, but water and wind are not the same thing. And Jesus goes on to refer to the Holy Spirit as wind in his reply to Nicodemus. There's a fourth understanding that says born of water refers to inner cleansing. I think this is probably getting a bit closer to the truth. The Pharisees were meticulous about their ritual washings and cleansings and the water that Jesus turned into wine in the last chapter at the wedding in Cana was water that had been set aside for their ceremonial washing. Of course in the temple there was the laver, the wash basin that the priests had to use before they could go into uh, go do their duties before the Lord. So it may be that it speaks of the inner cleansing that these various washings symbolised. Nicodemus at least understood the concept of not coming into God's presence unless you had been cleansed. But Jesus seems to think that Nicodemus should have put two and two together and thought of Ezekiel 36 when Jesus was talking about this. And it says in Ezekiel 36, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I'm inclined to think that this is at least part of the reason why Jesus rebukes Nicodemus when he says, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Nicodemus should have been reminded of this when Jesus was talking about being born of water and of the Spirit. Now John is notorious for having double meanings to words and ideas in his Gospel. So being born of water may mean more than just inner cleansing. I actually think it's more likely that Jesus was using water to represent the Word of God, the Scriptures. A couple of verses may help us to shed some light on that. John 17 verse 14 says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you keep them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. And then Paul wrote in Ephesians 5 that he might sanctify her, that is the church, that he might sanctify the church having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendour without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. There are other verses that speak to this idea of the word being cleansing. won't go into them now, but the word of God cleanses us from impurities. It cleanses us from sin. 
It washes away dirt. It washes away spots and uncleanness that Paul talked about there and that Ezekiel talked about. It makes us able to be able to stand before God holy and without blemish. The word of God cleanses because the word of God brings about faith. It's the primary means of bringing about faith. Without faith it is impossible to please God, it tells us in Hebrews 11. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who would seek him. And Paul tells us in Romans 10.17, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. To enter this kingdom, you must be born into it. I read an explanation of this that may help us to understand. Imagine if a nation passed a law that said no one could live there except those who were born within the borders of that nation. This sounds a little bit like what Jesus is saying. You must be born in this nation. And imagine someone who hadn't been born there deciding he wants to live there. Wouldn't matter if he took a name that was common in that nation. It wouldn't matter if he spoke the language. It wouldn't matter if he observed some of the customs or all of the customs of that nation. It wouldn't matter if he dressed like the people of that nation. It wouldn't matter if he practised the religious traditions of that nation. It wouldn't matter if his parents were born in that nation. It wouldn't matter if his children were born in that nation. It wouldn't matter if he had untold numbers of friends in that nation. All that would matter is if he was actually born there. That's precisely what Nicodemus has been telling Jesus. Your name, your language, your way of life, your clothing, your religious activity, your ancestry, your descendants, your social circle, none of these will help you one iota to get entry into this kingdom. There's only one way, and that is to be born there. That was the only way for Nicodemus to gain entry into the kingdom of God. And it's the only way for us as well. As Mel likes to say, God only has children. He doesn't have grandchildren. Have you been born again? Have you been born of God? But Lord, Lord, we protest. Didn't we do lots of stuff in your name? Didn't we do miracles? Didn't we lead people to Christ? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Surely we're entitled to enter your kingdom. No, that counts for nothing, Jesus would tell us. Have you been born again? Was Nicodemus ever born again? We don't know for sure. We hear of him twice more in the Gospels and it seems something has changed in him, he's sticking up for Jesus when Jesus is on trial. He goes to the tomb to anoint him with spices and bandage up his body after the crucifixion. Something has changed in Nicodemus. He's willing to put his reputation at least on the line. 
to to cast in his lot with Jesus. So I think he might have been. I think he probably was. But we don't know for sure. But being prepared to pay the cost of following Jesus is often a sign that you've been born again. Put very simply, the new birth is a recreation, a making new of your spirit that has been dead to God, dead in trespasses and sin. And as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God takes the old, dead heart out of us and replaces it with a new heart, a heart that is not only alive to God, but desires to follow him and to obey him. It could not be a more dramatic change. We'll look a bit more at the results of that change next week. The new birth is a new start. It is not an evolution into a different stage of life and faith. It is a new life entirely. It is a life that didn't exist before. How did you become a child of your parents? You were, of course, born of them. I'm a child of Ralph and Mavis because I was born from an act of their intimacy. Even if I'd been adopted, the principle would still hold. I was born of my parents. Ralph may have been my father in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm, Adam was my father. But when I was born again, I became a child of God, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. In a spiritual sense, I now have a new ancestry, Now I can trace my life not back to Ralph and Mavis but I can trace my life back to God because I've been born of God. There's no way to become a child of God without being born into it. No way. You can't make yourself born again any more than you made yourself born in the first place when you came into the world all those years ago. It's a supernatural work of God that's out of our hands. You must be born again. You must be born again. There is no alternative. There is no other way. It's not as if we can enter the kingdom of God any other way, as if we work hard enough or sacrifice enough or be extra kind to other people. Jesus deliberately excluded Every other method of entry, you must be born again. Interestingly, this is not a command, in case you think it's something I have to do. Don't hear it as, you must do this to be saved. Rather, it's a statement of fact. Unless God does a supernatural work of giving us a new birth, we can't see or enter the kingdom of God. It's not something we can bring about. That's cause for despair though, isn't it? What do I do then? I must be born again. What am I going to do? 
If we can't do it, what hope do any of us have? How can we be, be born again? How can these things be? There are things we can do. Remember back in chapter 1, John wrote, verse 9, the true light which gives light to the world was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. His own people rejected him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To begin with, don't reject him. Don't reject him. Rather receive him and receive him by accepting his offer of salvation, his offer to cleanse you from sin, to give you new life, eternal life. It's a serious offer and it's a genuine offer. Receive him by believing in him. Put your trust in him. Call out to him and him alone for your salvation. Trust him and him alone to wash you clean, to make you righteous, to make you acceptable in the sight of God. won't be very much longer before we get to the most famous verse in the Bible. John 3.16, I don't even need to display this because you all know it by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him receives this new life, this eternal life. Remember John writes towards the end of this gospel, you may, that you, he writes it so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I ask you this morning, search your hearts. Next week we'll look at what the changes are that the new birth brings about. That might be a little bit challenging possibly for some. I hope not. I hope you'll be encouraged when we look at what the new birth brings about, the change that makes. But for this week, we need to search our hearts. Find out, am I born again? Turn to Christ, the Son of God. Believe in him. Put your trust in him. There is no other able to deal with your sin your rebellion, your alienation, your spiritual DNA that you inherited from Adam. No one else but Jesus Christ can deal with that. And he does it by that great exchange that I talked about last week, by his death on the cross on your behalf, on my behalf, as our representative. He took the guilt and the punishment that was due to us so that we could take the righteousness that belongs to him. We can be declared holy, righteous in the sight of God the Father and we can come into his presence because we're a child of God. We are born of God. Which father turns his child away when he comes to him? 
our father doesn't turn his children away. The ones who have been born of him. How can we know we're born again? What should we expect to see? Come back next week for the answer to that. Until then, search your hearts. See what it is that you have been trusting in for your salvation. What have you been trusting in to make you worthy and right to stand before God? If it's been your good behaviour, your sacrificial service, your church attendance, even your Bible reading, if it's been your parents' faith, you need to turn away from those things and turn to Christ and be born again. There is no other way. You must be born again. Father, we thank you that you have made the way for us to be born again. That you have sent your Son to live a life of perfect obedience, to die an unjust death as our representative, to be raised again, to give us hope, to sit at your right hand, Father, in the heavens. Lord, you have given us your word that speaks truth to us and has the means to bring about faith for those who would hear, to cleanse hearts for those who would repent, to change lives for those who would turn to you in faith. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, for my friends here, that each of us would be born again, would know the new birth. And as uh, I think John wrote in one of his letters that, that uh, these things are written, that you would know that you are saved. Lord, give us an assurance for those of us who are saved Take away that assurance for those who are not, for any who are not born again. Would you do them the mercy, Lord, of taking away any assurance they have so that they can then turn to you in repentance and faith and believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and be saved. Father, I thank you for this work done by your Son and wrought in us by the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you'll do a greater work this week, a work of assurance or a work of conviction as necessary, Lord. And I pray, Lord, your blessings on my friends, my brothers and sisters this week. Would you be close to us, Lord? Would you guide us, correct us, Encourage us, strengthen us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.